This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Non-binary persons, ladies and gentlemen, meds and pre-meds, yannies and laurels, welcome back to the Shortcode Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. On our show this time, listener Amanda wants to know if younger first-year students are at a disadvantage than older first-year students. Mental health organizations release a toolkit to help young people with the fallout from a popular TV show. Major depression is on the rise among millennials. And the Smithsonian unveils a new portrait to celebrate the mother of modern medicine. These are the things we'll discuss today with M1 Sanjeeva Weirsing. Hello. M1 Eric Neller. Hey, podcast people. MD, PhD student, Aline Sanduk. Hi. And M2, Hillary O'Brien. Hi, guys. It's my mission today not to make Hillary uncomfortable, <laughs> as I often, <laughs> as apparently I often do. It's a really good goal. I like it. Okay. Uh, guys, do you know I'm giving away free stuff? No. no. Yes. Tell us about it. I am Dave. giving away free. Yes, until they are gone, I will send listeners a genuine 100% wood laser cut and engraved short coat podcast fee key fob designed by me i've already given away several to folks like adil rachel and zachary uh, all they had to do is share the show or an episode in a place where med students or pre-meds hang out online and send us a screenshot to the shortcodes at gmail.com along with a mailing address that's all they had to do so simple yeah can i get one you can get one. Oh, nice but, and, and you know you get one because you're on the show okay do okay. i get a special one because i'm on the show uh no oh but if you want to, sh- if you want to share the episode in a place where med students hang out, um, then I will imbue it with more meaning before I give it to you. It'll okay. have a better chi for uh, you. Yes, <laughs> an aura. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yes, listeners, please uh, do that. Be happy to send you a thing. Um, we have a listener question from Amanda. Let's hear from her. Hi, short coat podcast. First, thanks to you and your co-hosts for all of the great shows. You're welcome. I am starting medical school this August and am both excited and intimidated by what lies ahead. I just graduated college and will be 22 when I start medical school. I know that the median age for med students is now mid to late 20s and that many of my classmates will be former nurses, paramedics, researchers, or graduate students. Additionally, at my medical school some of the class is drawn from last year's medical master's program which means they just took the MS1 curriculum last year. I can't help but feel that I will already be behind on the first day. I have loved being an EMT for the last six years which has given me great patient and clinical experience but of course that doesn't really prepare me for rigorous MS1 courses like A&P, Biochem, etc. It increasingly feels like I am more of a non-traditional student than a classmate who has taken a few gap years. I'm not concerned with trying to compete with these students. In fact, I was most successful in my undergrad classes where I could study with friends and I'm excited to be surrounded by peers with all different backgrounds and experiences. 
I'm more just nervous about being behind. Do you all have any advice or reassurance for a student like me? Is there anything I should be doing in the next few months to prepare? An excellent question. Thank you for uh, writing uh, to us at theshortcodes at gmail.com. Amanda, appreciate that. What do you guys think? I think everyone noticed me moding over here quite a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just reacting that way because it seems like every year, more and more, the best way to prepare for medical school and be competitive is to already go to medical school and just show up to (laughs) go through the formality of getting your degree she sounds like a wonderful candidate and i i don't think she's underprepared or unprepared in any way um i think it's normal to feel nervous in light of the fact you know of all the things that she mentioned but i'm just surprised at how much more prevalent it's becoming for people to go to medical school after having had like a full other career or like another health profession i mean that just seems ridiculous to me (laughs) that you know you basically have to go how many people in this room had a life before medical school a career before medical school so i did yeah yeah kind of yeah Uh, i was a research assistant for a year what 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 let's start with you hillary what was your um so i was not sure i wanted to go to medical school right um after college so i worked for dupont pioneer the seed corn company based in johnston iowa for about four and a half years mm-hmm. until i figured out that i actually wanted to be a doctor so eric yeah i've said it a couple times i think on this podcast before but i was uh so i'm, I'm a reservist army medic um and so i did that along with uh i was also doing a job kind of like auditing for like this company that kind of works with like pharmaceutical companies so i had kind of like a little bit of like kind of extraneous kind of medical experience um i wouldn't really call either one of those careers but you know i was doing those for like three years so okay sanjeeva Uh, you were a research assistant what kind of research uh i was uh doing biochem education research assistant after college just to so I could get more like shadowing experience mm-hmm. with okay. physicians because in, during college I just didn't have the time to do that. So, yeah. So I guess I asked that question because I think everybody in this room. Oh, and Aline was, of course. I'm sorry, Aline. <laughs> okay. You can skip me. Yeah. I've, I've talked about Aline that quite is like a lot. The, probably uh, the more extreme example of this kind of situation. Yeah. Like Aline, before you were, uh, I had a lot of jobs before I came to med school. Can I guess? Airline can pilot. I guess? Oh, I said, no, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, sure, but this has potential to hurt feelings. Was it law enforcement? Uh, no. Wow. Oh, wow. Actually, I take that as a compliment. Yeah, I was, that really was kind nice. of was the intent. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, not, not that one, but I did have a lot of different jobs and like my nicey nicey backstory is like, oh, I was finding myself and I didn't know what I was going to do, but really I was just like finding a way to pay the bills until I got into med school. Yeah. Like wow. yeah. I applied Very more cool. than once. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's start with the second question that she had first, though. Uh, sh- what can she do to prepare for med school? Take a deep breath first. I think it's a totally natural thing to be anxious about it. I think everyone at this table was nervous about starting med school. And I think she just needs to, like, take a moment, pause, enjoy her summer. Like, she's not going to have time off before or like or during and medical potentially school. Potentially ever so, again. Yeah. Like, I take a deep breath it's gonna be okay everyone's gonna be in the same boat you are i don't think preparation is really necessary yeah i've heard people talk about studying the summer before med school which i think is absolutely the most insane thing you could do agreed 
Yeah. I don't know if anyone here did that or if you know of anyone who did that, but I heard people say they were going to do that a lot and it sounded terribly. It sounded like you were exhausting yourself before starting the race. Mm -hmm. I, I did the summer program here, um, but that was more just because I was I was lonely and I just wanted new friends and like I was coming from another state. So Yeah. Is that I'm Yeah. Yeah. The... The, the summer introduction program. to medical education at Iowa program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, like there's some, there's some benefits to that, but I, I agree. I, I think for Amanda, take a chill pill a little bit. Like she sounds pretty on the ball, like that six years EMT thing. If I, if I listen to that, right. Yeah. Like that's, that's pretty, like, it's pretty remarkable. Like for B22. So I'm, she was comparing herself and her experience to a whole bunch of other people. Um, I, I think potentially the, you know, so if none of the people that she compared herself to, I thought had any particular sort of leg up right. on med student on an incoming med students, except potentially nursing. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, her school uh, liked her enough to admit her, which is a, uh, which is a strong, already a strong indicator that, you know, she's got what it takes. Mm -hmm. um, and I also thought that none of these other pro none of these other professions that she mentioned is going to particularly be great at medicine coming in the gate or have basic science knowledge that would be useful in medicine. Sometimes you have to unlearn things. Yep. Also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've heard that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the point that you made about her school accepting her as being kind of a good indication that she was ready is an important one because it costs much more than our tuition to even train us. And they wouldn't spend that kind of money on someone that they weren't sure had the potential to do really well. Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's worth being reminded of that. Deep breaths, Amanda, you're going to be fine. And uh, let us know how it goes. If we're, I mean, you know, if by some miracle we are incorrect, and you are not fine, then I'd like to hear about that too because yeah, I'll probably cut that. We will individually mail you an apology letter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Amanda, we are sorry. The Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, you'll be happy to know, guys, is returning for season two today as we record this. Um, and Netflix has announced its response to mental health professionals mental health professionals concerns with season one so anybody here watch the show no no yeah i think I it's not I, I think it's aimed for a slightly younger demographic but that's part of the problem so last season the show depicted the main character's death by suicide in a manner that experts felt was both too realistic and unrealistic at the same time so the intent of the creators apparently was to scare teens away from suicide by depicting the event as gory intense violent there were lots of close-ups there was lots of time spent on it uh, many felt the scene in question uh, uh, wouldn't accomplish that goal fear campaigns rarely work or don't seem to work as a prevention for suicide um, and the show was actually accurate enough in depicting that suicide that it could be seen as a step-by-step -step manual on how to commit suicide effectively. Others pointed out that the show's main conceit, there's a, so the tapes that Hannah leaves behind to out those responsible for her suicide are too quirky and, you know, like, 
may I don't know. I didn't see the show. Maybe a little upbeat to um, to show mental states that are typical with of those with actual suicidal thoughts. So both really accurate and not accurate. The show. Mm. Um, also, because of the way the story is told, Hannah is, despite being dead during the show's present timeline, uh, is constant is a constant presence through flashbacks, which kind of reduces the impact of the central tragedy of suicide, which is that that person mm -hmm. is gone, is mm -hmm. dead. So uh, do you guys have any thoughts about, like given my description of the show, which could be accurate or inaccurate, and yeah. let us know, <laughs> yeah. let us yeah. know listeners, if you watch the show, I'd be interested to see what your viewpoint uh, viewpoints are. But uh, what do you think of what I said? Is it, I mean, does it sound like a show? That it's, it's, it, so, it's so hard to say without actually watching it because I don't want to, come down hard on the show unfairly apparently it's a good show yeah I mean, it's well produced it's popular uh yeah the red flag that went up for me during your description was the way the main character used her suicide to sort of get back at people yeah. who may have uh, like precipitated this event um in the sense that uh anyone who is considering using suicide in that way could be encouraged to do that right mm -hmm. um it is with the depiction of like the impact right you know being effective quote unquote it is somewhat rare for right. that to be how somebody gets revenge is what i'm is what i understand sure um that you know but television focuses on you know television dramas focus on things that are unusual so you know mm -hmm. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that young people would see a show like this and then take clues away from it because like teenagers by definition have underdeveloped frontal lobes and so they have poor decision-making abilities. Like they are biologically incapable of thinking about the consequences of their actions and how it'll affect other people and what the long-term um, implications would be. And so I, I don't think that's too far off in my opinion. I don't know how everyone feels, but I. I can see that. Yeah. Based on my uh, your description, I probably wouldn't con like watch that sort of genre of films. Yeah. But not your not your thing. You're not into. Uh, um, not into the suicide. Uh, well, mental right. illness. Uh, television shows. Te television shows. <laughs> not uplifting enough. Not uplifting. But well, I, I mean, in response to the criticisms uh, that they received last year, Netflix is. Uh, making some changes they're adding some trigger warnings uh first of all um and also an after show with um supposedly real information on suicide um i don't know what that's going to look like personally but uh also 30 mental health organizations have created the 13 reasons why toolkit uh, which is also available today uh, the goal is to have a quote consistent and evidence-based messaging to address the more challenging topics portrayed in the series, which, by the way, in season two, will include, uh, will also include um, topics like school shootings and substance abuse. Hmm. Um, and they hope to get ahead of the potential fallout from that. And we all know how prevalent school shootings and substance abuse are. Um, so anyway. I wonder if um, one thing they should consider incorporating into these toolkits is like how to have healthy relationships with your peers. Cause it seems like a lot of people are driven down the path of mental illness, you know, by rejection mm -hmm. or a poor self image or just being socially isolated. And so maybe finding a way to like empower young people with like the language to 
assert themselves or communicate properly could be, you know, some kind of antidote to those feelings that then amplify and lead to suicide. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, like, what the distribution plan of this toolkit will be. Is it something that's online that, like, just a normal teenager can go online, get and use? Like, is it meant to be used by some, like, an authority figure with a large group of students or teenagers? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess I don't know too much about the format of the toolkits. Yeah. I I think among the plans is for um, parents to engage with the toolkit and with the show Mm -hmm. as their children are. But you know how, how much students like watching television or young people like watching television with their parents. So fun. As comfortable yeah. as a uh, unanticipated sex scene. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I remember those days like, yeah. oh, son of a bitch. Oh, the weather's so great these days. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately just get on your phone and look down. <laughs> uh, we didn't have yeah. phones back then, Hillary. We had to like endure the uncomfortableness <laughs> without... Hey, distraction it was there was no horrible escape. i'm there not no- that young <laughs> like I'm- i didn't have phones either <laughs> okay is it even accurate to the the i mean the main character uh committed suicide just based on a revenge on per- potential yeah. people but i feel like that's not the reason why many people who commit suicide it's- it's unusual. It's an yeah. unusual form or an unusual reason. I wouldn't say also, I wouldn't say that she probably committed suicide as a revenge, but I think the tapes were meant as a revenge. Like I'm guessing she had a lot of mental disturbances and problems that led to her suicide and then she just used the tapes themselves as a revenge. So be careful about that. Sure. Makes sense. Is this show like Heather's? Like, is it like it a is. dark kind of comedy? Or? So I did go to Wikipedia. I didn't watch a show, as I said, but I went to Wikipedia and I looked through the plot summaries and man, they're, they're complicated. You know, like Chris is upset with, oh, so I, I didn't say to, uh, to our listeners, but we do have somebody in the studio with us, our audience <laughs> of one, uh, Logan here. Uh, and she's nodding like, yeah, yeah, she's oh yeah, she's it's my favorite show. And oh, participating man. in her she own way. It's my she favorite show. Mic. I really like it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's pretty convoluted, and um, and you know, yeah, Chris doesn't like like so and so, and and so and so, you know, did this horrible thing to this other person. Oh and, God, you know, that um, sounds pretty. It sounds like high school to me. I mean, high school. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would say. Anyway. So, yeah, look for that. Speaking of mental illness, the Blue Cross and Blue Shield has released a new study that says diagnoses of major depression are on the rise. Uh, major depression diagnoses are up 33% overall since 2013, up 40 47% among professionals and adolescents. I'm wondering if I wrote that right. Anyway, you get the idea, <laughs> listeners. People are sad. Up uh, 47% for adolescent boys, up 65% for adolescent girls. Jeez. These di- those diagnosed huh. with uh, major depression are also almost 30% less healthy than those without an MD, and I think they're basing that on the number of comorbid uh, conditions. Um, 85% of MD pa- of of major depression patients also have one or more cro- chronic comorbidities. And 30% of patients have four or more other illnesses. Um, And these result in a loss of 10 years of healthy life for both men and women. So more data about the effects of the effects and prevalence of um, major depression. 
I mean, I'd be interested to know the cause. I read a little bit about the article and it sounded like this these numbers came from insurance claims data, so they couldn't really draw conclusions about the cause right. of this increase. So I'd be intrigued to learn a little bit more on whether they think it's because depression is more of an acceptable topic to mm-hmm. talk about or to admit that like it's something you're struggling with and so you're more likely to seek care for it or if there's an if in general everyone's just more sad like i just don't know the reason about it yet or it could be like multifactorial yeah too, could be both. But i'd be intrigued but they just couldn't draw any conclusions from this data it's social media i mean they did talk about that in the article too about how people with multiple social media accounts do have a higher instance of depression i could definitely see that especially since facebook has admitted in the past to conducting experiments (laughs) on users to see mark zuckerberg was monkeying with our yeah Yeah. Yeah. altering content to see if one does yeah yeah people have there's less um occupational stability i guess you could say um i don't know this for sure but i suspect that in constant dollars people might be making less than they once made doing the same jobs. There's more pressure maybe to um, produce. I think a lot of the technical technological advances that we've experienced in the past, you know, 40 or 50 years um, haven't necessarily reduced workload, but just made you made one able to do more things. Mm-hmm. And so now you're wearing multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could imagine that all of those things, assuming they're true, all of those things would would really sort of make you sad. May I put you under pressure, certainly. Yeah, I personally particularly agree with what you said about stability, like financial mm-hmm. stability and employment security, I think is a, one of the biggest differences I can think of. Um, you know, it used to be that you know, a high school degree was enough to get a decent job, you know, not a great job, but a job that gave you enough revenue so that a one income household could have a pretty good standard of living. Um, But it seems nowadays like a college degree isn't enough, a master's degree isn't enough. There are lots of people with PhDs who are unemployed Mm -hmm. and can't find work in their field. And it hurts everyone when that happens because you end up with you know, this subset of the population that's way overqualified for the jobs that they have, which pushes, you know, even less fortunate people down further the, you know, the social ladder um, and removes sort of those um, income opportunities from them. And it seems to push everyone down further into poverty to be. Well, yeah. And and all those extra years of education that you might have needed to sort of combat um, to get a job that once didn't require an MA, mm-hmm. but which now does, mm-hmm. um, that's expensive, um, time consuming, stressful, all that kind of stuff. I saw an ad, I swear this is true. I saw an ad once for a groundskeeper that required an MA, Ooh. which I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, what? An MA in like soil science. And you know, that, that stuff is, I mean, that stuff is, I mean, I'm not going to say that that stuff isn't complicated and doesn't require, you know, somebody intelligent to to do them well sure um but has science of of soil really advanced to the point where now we know so much that we need to go to school for an extra two years out of college (laughs) (laughs) that's a bit much yeah i don't know i think there's um there's also a 
failure, and I say this very gently because I've I've brought this up with people of that generation and they don't respond very well to it at all. But I think baby boomers have played a pretty detrimental role in terms of inheriting the greatest country on earth and failing to enact mechanisms to keep us being as great as we were. I mean, they inherited as a, as a gener as a yeah. generation Xer. Yeah. I will say that uh my parents' generation shit all over the place. <laughs> I just gotta come right out and say it. It's like they had the greatest party on earth, and then we walked up, and the party was over, and we have to clean up everything. Yeah, plus mm -hmm. we have the hangover. But it's, but so. it's our fault, though. Yeah, yeah. Because millennials ruin everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so lazy and entitled, Yeah, but we have to pay their social security. Yeah. I guess the survey also kind of condemns us as a society, sort of, because we don't seem to be managing stress well, because... Diabetes is on the rise, overeating is on the rise. I mean, in health class, like in high school, they mentioned depression is bad, but I mean, it's not like we learned how to like manage stress in yeah. a healthy way. Yeah. And yeah. so we were sort of left to our own devices to do that. Sorry if we offended any of our vast... <laughs> uh, <laughs> our vast baby boomer that's why I didn't talk because I'm not trying to mess with baby boomers yeah. so. like, like they will drop an atomic bomb on your wait wasn't that their Whoa. forefathers generation that dropped the bomb uh okay yeah that was the yeah. greatest generation yeah. I'm sorry yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a good generation. Don't don't yeah. way better than baby. Than don't me. point out my logical fallacies. Just pretend like I'm a, some sort of genius. Point you out when Dave's wrong at every opportunity. That's right. To remind you, please of send your us. Fallacy. Yes, please send us mail. <laughs> whenever I <laughs> whenever I screw up. Uh, okay. Well, back in 2013, we had a great show, if I do say so myself, with the. Uh, some of the descendants of Henrietta Lacks, the uh, unwitting uh, black tobacco farmer whose cells harvested in the 1950s without her consent or knowledge have become among the most important tools we have in studying everything from cancer to AIDS, cloning, stem cells, and practically everything we know about many of the diseases of modern, well, of life. Um, well, now uh, you can see a portrait of Mrs. Lax, which is hanging in the National Portrait Gallery through November. It's an oil on linen painting by Kadir Nelson. And I'm no art critic, but I think it's real nice. Um, it's it the, is objectively beautiful. It's nice. Yeah, it's it really is. Nice. You don't have, do you have a picture of it? Uh, yes. And I'm kind of, I'm, yeah. I'm embarrassed to say that when you brought this up before the show, I didn't know who this person was. Yeah. But I pretended like I did because I didn't want to seem like... <laughs> I had no, no idea like that ignorant? you had a show. I'm totally, oh, I'm leaving that in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that you had a show with her descendants. That's before. awesome. That's really and cool. Now that I know what it was she really did, cool. it's even cooler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. All right. So there's the picture uh, behind you. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. It's yeah. my um, big head blocking it. Has some like iconography with it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a great, it was a good show because, um, so if you read, it, it came out a, around um, the same time that the National Institutes of Health was finally acknowledging that this had occurred, that, um, you know, her cells had been used without permission, um, identifying who it was with the permission of the Lax family, with the consent of the Lax family. Um, and it also uh, sort of coincided with, uh, if I remember correctly, 
a book by a woman by the name of Rebecca Skloot, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. Totally worth reading. Really interesting. Um, and the Lacks family, you know, there was a lot of, apparently at the time, you know, the Lacks family was, you know, relatively uneducated, didn't even know what cells were. So, like, you know, they couldn't reasonably consent mm -hmm. to the use of Henrietta's like, Henrietta couldn't reasonably consent to the use of her cells mm -hmm. um, in any way um, so anyway there was a co big conversation about this back then and they were a delight to have on the show they even argued a little bit with each other um, <laughs> that's awesome uh, that's all good families do. <laughs> uh, but, yeah you should really go listen to the show I'll post a link to it in the show notes at theshortcode.com it's interesting how much of an impact like this one person had um, and how like ubiquitous her like her literal, you know, physical flesh yeah. has had, um, like on the world. So, so explain, I didn't explain why her cells are so important. Can you? Yeah. So do you use these cells? So I don't personally, okay. but practically everyone I know in research does or mm -hmm. has at some point worked with these cells. And so like, um, it's really well described in the book, but basically, um, Henrietta Lacks was a, uh, you know, lower uh, income woman living in Baltimore at the time. And um, she started having symptoms of uterine cancer. And so Johns Hopkins was one of the only hospitals at the time in the 50s that would even um, see African-Americans and treat them. And uh, her treatment or her being seen at the hospital coincided with sort of this axis in science where um, we were the scientific community was trying to find a way to cultivate cells for research, for experimentation, things like that. And up until that point, um, it had it had not been done. Like mm -hmm. cells and culture could not be maintained for more than like a couple of weeks at a time, if that. And uh, it just so happened that the physician who was taking a biopsy of her um, of her um, of her uterus, um, I think it was uterus or maybe I think it, it was, was her cerv cervix cervical is cancer. where the cells were from yeah yep so thank you for that um so they um took a biopsy and the physician treating her and the person who was sort of spearheading the effort to develop um cancer cell lines and just cult cells to culture for research um happened to be colleagues and so he passed along some of this tissue and as with all of the tissues that they've gotten before they you know, diced, you know, sliced and diced it and then put it in some media um, and put it in a dish and it has just kept going. And that was incredible. That had never happened. Mm, yeah. Before. Something's real special about Henrietta and her. Yeah. And the way her body worked. Yeah. They've just went on forever, which is. Did they amazing. ever pinpoint exactly why her cell succeeded when so many other cell lines had failed? I don't remember reading anything. I don't know the answer to that. That, said yeah. that. Yeah, I yeah. can't recall either. If you know, listeners, you know what to do. Um, so you don't use it. Other people, um, that you know, they're pretty prevalent. Use it. I yeah. mean, it it is to the point where you know it's basically like when I I remember when we spoke to them, they said that they didn't understand. Like they kept hearing the word cloning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the popular vision of cloning is that there is another person around. So they th actually thought that there was that Henrietta was still alive and unknown to them when they mm -hmm. found out that her cells had been wow. cloned. I mean, you can imagine how, yeah, well, like, uh, it's trippy. It's <laughs> crazy that idea 
would have seemed. Yeah. yeah. That still seems, you know, like. Yeah, that's more than anything. I think that's an indictment of the educational inequality yeah. in our country. Well, not only that, but the other central point to this whole controversy is that, and this is still true today, unfortunately, I think personally, I think black people, African-American people get treated terribly by medicine. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's something that I would hope that y'all will watch for and be aware of because, you know, black people, uh, are told that their pain is not as, um, essentially important, mm -hmm. um, or as bad. They're mm -hmm. told, um, all kinds of like their skin is thicker, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, that is just, isn't true. Mm -hmm. And those myths are totally persistent. They, they, and it's they continue. Yep. They continue um, to this day. Their symptoms are also not taken as seriously. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. women, women in general are more likely right. to get uh, like poorer care mm -hmm. in the in the in the clinic. But women of color are even more at risk of dying of whatever it is that they're going to the hospital for. Yeah. And you all probably have heard. <laughs> Something like, uh, well, black people, African American, ha African Americans have a higher rate of hypertension. Yep. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That may be true. The question is, why do they have a high, higher rate of hypertension? Is it because they are genetically pre predisposed to have a higher rate of hypertension, or is it because they are subjected to greater um, racism, uh, difficulties in their personal lives, and that thus drives up? their rates of hypertension i mean that's not necessarily a medicine problem but you know by saying african-americans have a higher rate of hypertension that does imply at least to somebody who doesn't who hasn't quite thought about it that it's just part of them right it's within yeah, which them is the problem i, I mean it could be also a medical problem in the sense that they might have um less access to care mm -hmm. than people of caucasian descent so there in itself would lead to them not having as much care and leading to them having more hypertension than yeah. white people. Yeah. Um, I think the phenomenon that you're describing, Dave, is even more obvious in terms of um, prenatal or perinatal mortality yes. in African-American women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been extensively studied uh, by like different you know, researchers to understand why um, African American women are like so much more likely than Caucasian women to die during childbirth or to have um, to have premature babies, and you know, just a variety of um, of poor outcomes, despite how well developed our healthcare system is. And they've found um, that it's it's something in the experience of living in this country. Like there are African-American women or Afro-Caribbean women who will have, you know, no history in their families or personally of having, you know, any type of um, adverse outcomes in pregnancy. But then they will move here and then every subsequent pregnancy after moving to this country, they'll start having problems in pregnancy. Yeah. And they think, I mean, it's it's multifactorial, but they think that it has to do with just systematic, unrelenting, day-to-day, -day, if not like hour-to-hour -hour racism. Stress and racism. And yeah. It just sounds so exhausting. Like, I can't even imagine it, Yeah, personally. Totally. Well, then. So I'm glad that Mrs. Lax is getting, um, in particular, is getting some some recognition for her role. I'm glad her family is, is um, you know, sort of achieving some sense of justice in this. I mean, things can't ever be 
know, sort of undone. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's just nice that, you know, people are finally recognizing this woman's contribution. and Yeah, hearing her story. Yep. This week, the internet exploded into another disagreement, like the infamous dress that viewers saw as either blue or gold back in February 2015. It was gold. It was the, always blue. No, it was blue. <laughs> it was definitely blue. I know it's supposed to be blue, but all I can see is gold. I never... Did, did people ever see it flip? Like I, No, I was gold? trying I so had, hard to yeah. for it yeah. to... But I couldn't. Well, this, the phenomenon which highlights the brain's effort to make sense of ambiguous inputs now surrounds an audio clip from the Vocabulary.com audio pronunciation guide, which sounds like one thing to some people and something completely different to others. I find this sort of thing fascinating. I, I do like uh, optical illusions and, you know, the sort of things mm-hmm. that they flip from one view to another. It's it's just kind of interesting to me. So I, I want to, you, you guys have already heard this before, but I want to see what you guys hear. Um, I'm going to play the original sound that started all this, and I want you to tell me uh, what word you hear. All right, what did we what did we hear? I hear Laurel. 100% Laurel. Laurel. I hear Yanny. <laughs> I do too. And the first time I heard it I heard Laurel and now I hear Yanny. Yeah, no, I've been switching back and forth too, especially so I heard it on the radio driving to work the other day and I heard Laurel and then like later that evening I heard Yanny. Like it switches back and forth, but I can't consciously make it switch. Yeah, I've no, tried. once once you start hearing I can't do it either. Yeah. Does it does it switch like as it's going on or no just like different times like just you, different times uh, yeah. like today was yanny but the other day it was like laurel then i tried when to I make first, myself hear yanny and i could not when i first heard it i was 100 percent team team laurel like and a low sonorous laurel you know like oh, laurel mm-mm. yeah um, it was not even remotely close to yanni or yanny in my yeah in my and that and i was thinking well, about it i was like i'm gonna hear it this time i'm gonna hear it this time and laurel Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of hear like someone was breathing like Yanny when I heard Laurel, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I do know that um, that if you change the frequencies that are emphasized in the clip, what we know now is that if you change the frequencies in the clip, it will change. So um, here's, a, I'll, I'll do that now. Laurel. Laurel. What do you hear? Laurel. I still hear Yanny. Okay. Laurel. 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 I'm changing it. I think you, all you Yanny people are in some Laurel. kind of joke. Laurel. Anybody Laurel. hear a change? Laurel. Laurel. Not yet. No. I think this is the most concerted and well-organized Laurel. psychological no warfare kidding. campaign right. ever. I you do not these, hear like, it. Yanny sleeper Laurel. cell people. Like. Laurel. It just switched. Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it I got Laurel now. I got to the, to the end of the scale on this tool. <laughs> Wow. Um, so who heard Laurel? Laurel. Did everybody hear, or did anybody consistently hear Laurel? Laurel. Yeah, Laurel. Okay, so and nobody, one out. except for Hillary, nobody else heard Yanny. But I'm an old lady, and I think the, I think there's an age factor here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like, how, okay, I'm okay. 29, and like, so I feel like I'm older than these. You guys are, M1. you, you and Alina are of an age. We're yeah, close. so I, I feel like it's not just an age factor. Okay. Yeah. I think my hearing's on a quick decline though all right well let's let's do it the other way let's let's change the frequencies another way you yanny people uh, laurel people tell me when it changes oh i hear it whoa 
Oh my god. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I think mine. Yes. Mine pop. I think mine pop blast. Yeah. I got it then. Oh, now. that's oh. really freaky. How did that? It was getting really scary. And then. Wow, no <laughs> <laughs> Hillary, I get you now. How did you do that? Was that black magic? It what, was black magic. You yes. You switched it. Or you the just New York changed Times. the. <laughs> It just it, so the New York Times has this tool that that um, adjusts the frequencies that you that are emphasized in the um, in the playback. Well, um, you know, like everybody's like, well, it's settled. It's Laurel because that was the original intent of the audio recording. I mean, this is just, you know, the, the brain's way of of dealing with ambiguous um, input. Hmm. Um, I, but I did uh, I did do a an experiment. And as far as I know, I'm the only one who has done this experiment. So I changed oh, some frequencies boy. around and uh, something really interesting happened. And I want you to see what I, uh, don't look at the screen, don't <laughs> okay. look at the screen because I don't want you to get any hints. Um, but uh, yeah, see what I came up with. I think it's really interesting. Please rate and review the short code podcast on Apple Podcasts and send a screenshot of the review to the short code set <laughs> gmail.com with your mailing address to receive an SCP key fob. Whoa! Did that you... is amazing. Did you, I mean, that adjust, that little adjustment I made in frequencies and that came out? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like looking You're at me. sneaky. You guys, You're a man. sneaky guy. <laughs> You're, You're a sneaky man. Oh. You're not falling for it, huh? Have some nice switch and bait right there. Or bait and switch bait. right there. Yeah, switch and bait. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever, it's fine. Uh, well, we'll be putting a link to all the topics we've discussed in this in this episode. Show notes at theshortcoat.com. But for now, that is our show. Sanjeeva, Eric, Aline, Hillary, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me this thank week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, we hope that we've earned your subscription. If you have a suggestion or something we should talk about or seek barely informed, sleep-deprived advice, you can send those things <laughs> to theshortcuts <laughs> at gmail.com. That's, that's about right. Or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.